sound check real quick. Yeah, I'm going to leave the meeting now since you're recording. Oh, perfect. Oh, awesome. <laughs> listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Sports Pharmacy Podcast. My name is Dr. H and I am your host. I am a wellness pharmacist, pharmacy owner, and certified sports nutritionist. Join me while we discuss a wide range of topics ranging from health and wellness, sports, and even some small business secrets. Feel free to join our Discord for more interactions with me and other fellow listeners. Now let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. I have the distinct pleasure of having my new friend, Dr. Michael Castagna, here with me today from Mankind, CEO of Mankind. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you? Good, man. I was really looking forward to this conversation just based off of the last one we had in the past. I really feel like you have some really good information that we need to get out to everybody. So please, sir, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll dive deep into it afterwards. Sure. My name is Mike Castagna. I've been with Mankind about almost seven years this year. I can't believe it. I'm a pharmacist by training. I went to Philadelphia College of Pharmacy in the 90s and then got out of pharmacy school eventually and went in, into pharmaceutical industry. Went back, got a business degree from University of Penn and uh, went back and got my PharmD a couple of years after that. And so I spent more than half my life in school, it feels like. And so, yeah. <laughs> well, probably that's paid off, but no, I really enjoyed learning. And so for a person whose family was not very educational background, very blue collar, grew up in making pizza. My mom, single mom, going to college was a dream and getting into college was a dream. And then getting out of college was fun and a challenge. And then paying for it was a whole nother headache, right? And course, yeah. These kids today have much bigger challenges. I mean, I went, I think it was like 15, 20,000 a year. And now it's three oh times God. that. Man, I think it was like 30 grand a year for me when I was starting out. That was in yeah, 2008. You probably lived there. I commuted. So that's oh, you know. true. That's You save a little money. All right. <laughs> I said, if I take that 10,000 on food and car, I could buy a car. And so that's what there I did. Pizza. But uh, so just getting, for me, just being proud to be a pharmacist. And I remember saying, if I was a part-time pharmacist, I could make this much. If I was going back to medical school, I wanted to be a doctor. I could make this much. And that was, that was really the equation. And I just realized medical school is such a sacrifice in terms of the salary that you're going to lose, the time that you have to give in and the energy. And then you get out and you got managed care companies just making you miserable. And so I decided that the way I could make a difference in society was through the pharmaceutical industry. And that's really where I've been now 25 years ago in my 26th year. I started in 97. And so I've had a wonderful career working, started out in HIV and working in the 90s when people were dying in specialty pharmacy. And then I went to work for DuPont Pharmaceuticals back then, and we'd launched a drug called Sestiva. And, and you know, at that time, produce inhibitors were launching, and they were saving people's lives. It was an amazing time. You would come in and get diagnosed and be told you're going to die in six to 12 months, and then all of a sudden you're living one year, two years, five years. And I remember we did a study saying, if you take your first regimen with our drug, you'll get to 14 years. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Wow. And now you'll live practically a normal life. I remember when I left HIV in 05, we were arguing whether you're going to die of a heart attack from one drug versus another. And I said, the fact that we're arguing you're going to die of a heart attack is a good thing. Yeah, um, that's step one, right? Yeah. Ask so, Magic so Johnson. Think, yeah. No drugs are perfect. They all have side effects. I'm never going to defend or deny that. But I think trying to improve people's lives, make their lives better, extend their life, that's what life's about. And I really feel whether you're practicing pharmacy in a community setting, a hospital, or a clinic, or what I do, you're all about helping people. And I think that's what gets us out of bed every day as pharmacists. And so I actually kept my license active till about 10 years ago. When I had my th third child, I had to give it up. I just ran out of physical time. And, and so I, and I actually was about five years ago, I was actually retaking my boards for California because- Oh, really? You got to retake your boards again because I guess- oh, God. I was, 
That sounds exhausting thinking about it, man. And so I started studying like the night before, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not ready for this. I'm done. <laughs> so, so that's my background. It's been a wonderful career of driving change. I've done farm branded. I've done generics. I've done biosimilars. I've done auto injector devices. You name it, I've probably touched it in this industry. And now we're working on a respiratory platform here at Mankind. But a lot of turnarounds, a lot of breakthrough innovations within pharmacy, making patients' lives better. And we can talk about some of that throughout today. Yeah. So you brought it up. So let's just dive right into it, man. I'd love to hear more about Mankind and some of the new technologies that you guys are coming out with. I was just actually just on your website, just cruising and looking over some of the cool stuff that y'all do. And I know you guys have a bunch of stuff in the pipeline, some stuff that's already out there being marketed now. What is it that drove you to be become a CEO with Mankind and drove you to this sort of technology? Yeah. So for me in my career, everything I did was about training to become a CEO one day. And I moved around the country, I switched jobs, I switched companies just to get different experiences throughout that journey. And even when I came to Mankind, it was a turnaround. The company was founded on a product called Afreza, which is inhaled insulin. And I'm going to bet 90% of your listeners may have never even seen it or dispensed it. But our founder was Alfred E. Mann. You guys may not know Al Mann, he's pretty popular here on the West Coast, but he built things like the insulin pump, the pacemaker, cochlear implants, started okay. 17 companies. Ultimately sold his pump business to Medtronic, which became was which was Minimed, but became Medtronic Diabetes. And he sold that for three or four billion dollars in, in in the late nineties, early two thousand. And he took a billion dollars of his own money and invested in and built mankind over the last twenty three years. And so when people ask about the price of drugs, the cost of drugs, I think this is just a prime example of how hard it is. We took a hundred year old insulin product, right? We all have known insulin as pharmacists for the last hundred years. <laughs> And literally, it took over 75 trials, 5,000 patients, and $3 billion to take a 100-year-old product and get it FDA-approved. Wow. And so when people say, why are drugs expensive? Well, just, we didn't even invent insulin, right? We just made it better, I hope, <laughs> and better delivery. And so that alone took 20 years and that much money. Yeah. And that, that's the mankind history. And then, unfortunately, when it launched... It, it didn't do well. And uh, it really, for lots of reasons, you're trying to change 100 years of habit. You didn't prepare the market. You didn't get the thought leaders. You didn't get the packaging right to dosing. There's a lot of things that went wrong that, that shouldn't have gone wrong in the launch, but we've now fixed all those. But I, I would still say fundamentally, no one really knows how to use insulin. Is yeah, yes. Medicine, we still yeah. try to get the dosing right. And it's still a challenge, even if you're using injectable insulin. But Inhaled insulin is that much different. I always tell people it's going from a gas car to an electric car. It just doesn't seem like a big deal to you realize you don't have a power hookup in your house or you're not used to charging your car every night. You take long rides yep. or you're in the dinner and your, your energy draining faster. There's a lot of when you make that transition. But once you're there, you're used to it, just like the iPhone from the flip phone. You know, I remember you told me I was going to carry a glass phone and I'll break it. My fat fingers won't work on it. Same. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. The whole yeah, thing works. is just, yeah. And I can't so, live without it. It's stuck. It's here yeah. in my hand, literally. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the same thing is true of inhaled insulin. Like the initial inertia is I can't do this. And then once you do it, you're like, oh, wow, it's easy. And I think whether it's for the patient or the provider and how to prescribe it, how to dose it, how to inhale it. So that's the Mankind platform is an inhalation technology company. And building behind me is where we make the inhalers and we make the cartridges and powders. And since then, we have pivoted the company to orphan lung disease. Our second drug finally got approved last year called Tyveso DPI. That's marketed to our partner, United Therapeutics. We just make the product, they market it. But we started that innovation back in, in 2017 and funded it through, through 2018, ultimately to partner it out. And that product is off to a really good start. It's helping thousands of patients suffering from pulmonary hypertension. And when you hear some patient stories, like people don't leave their house because 
it's a continuous infusion or continuous nebulizer every four or six hours. And they couldn't leave their house because they'd have to carry a backup nebulizer, they had to carry star water, electricity. And so we hear stories of someone saying, I just went to my first family dinner in five years. Oh, what? Like, I just went to the mall in the grocery store. I've never left my house because I couldn't get back in time because it's an hour away. A mom said, I went to the movies with my daughter because I could actually watch a two and a half hour movie and drive there and back and not worry about my medicine. So those little issues that we take for granted of just going to the grocery store, going to the movies, going to the mall, having a Christmas dinner, those are all things that that cherish mm -hmm. for how important those moments are with your loved ones. But that's what a lot of sick people cannot do every day. Yeah. So that's our second drug. And now we have three other drugs in the pipeline focused on a rare disease called non-tuberculum mycobacterium, which is mainly along the eastern seaboard here in the U.S. And then we have an inhaled version of natentinib, which is OFEV and oral mm -hmm. Uh, and then we have a palmazine, which is a nebulized drug for cystic fibrosis. That wow. We're working on an inhaled version of that for dry powder. And then we have a very early stage IPF drug called Man Mankind 501. And that one's high risk, high reward, right? We generally see a 90% failure rate. But if they make it, they're huge and they're huge innovations. And so we're going to take some of those early bets as well. And we continue to look for new innovation. Unfortunately, for those that aren't in the pharmaceutical industry, which you may not appreciate, um, is that the industry's had about a 50, 60% market value decline. Money's dried up. It's really hard to fund innovation. A lot of these companies can't continue getting funded. We happen to be in a great spot. We ended the last quarter with enough cash to sustain us through cash flow break even. Nice. And so the company's in a good spot. We're in a growth mode. We're hiring people. We're expanding our pipeline and we're excited. And it's a bright future, but fundamentally, inhalation platform founded around insulin. We can put proteins, vaccines, you name wow. it. We we put it in our technology and that's really what our team is good at. That's amazing. So I, I want to pivot a little bit into something that you mentioned when you talked about hiring people. So for a lot of people, someone like me, I grew up in the retail world. I'm an independent pharmacy owner. I know nothing about the pharmaceutical industry, only based off of what you and I have talked about and some of my other friends. So a little bit about like when you're looking to hire individuals, what sort of leadership qualities are you usually looking for these for your potential applicants? So I think there's a humans come in so many different varieties, right? There's not any one success ingredient here. And I think it's the combination of people's experiences that give them that drive, that give mm -hmm. them that curiosity. And so some of the unique things I look for is people that are just curious. What makes them tick? What makes them want to learn? What makes them want to go above and beyond? I think that's important. You can get that when you look at someone's resume, for example, do they pursue advanced college degrees? No one makes you go back to college if you graduate. It's, it's yeah. Do they volunteer at nonprofits, right? What do they do outside of work? We all have children and we're busy, but busy people seem to get more work. And so that's something you look for is what's their engagement level. You look, it used to be like when I first left Bristol-Myers Squibb in 05, people are like, what do you mean you're leaving? You got a great career, you got a great future. And my view is I didn't want to be in the same place for 20 years. And at that time, Bristol-Myers had a great, they took good care of me. I couldn't complain. But I wanted to get a different experience. I went to a startup. And so I think it used to be, wow, if you switch jobs every two, three years or companies, there's something wrong with you. Now I get resumes. I'm like, God, if people stay in one place too long, I'm like, something's wrong with them. <laughs> um, right? <laughs> so why couldn't they get another job? Yeah. Um, but, but I think I try to create a culture where I actually do want my employees to stay for five and 10 years. Right? I want to invest in them. I want to watch them grow. I want them to be here. So I do see if someone switched jobs every 12 to 18 months, 24 months. I shy away from those types of people because they're just not going to be happy here either. So they'll come in, get some experience, look for the next one. And we invest in developing people and trying to make sure they have a long career and they can meet their goals. But I'll be the first one to say, you own your career at the end of the day. 
right? right. Uh, someone trying to find a happy employee and getting them out of that environment to join us is a good thing because then they're happy. Or you find an unhappy employee, they're usually unhappy because they think something else is better in life. And I always say, if you're working for a company, they're all brown. Like every company's got challenges. They're none of them are And so it's really about how do you make that grass green? How do you make yeah. fertilizer? How do you make those ingredients, make that a special place? Because unless you're starting your own business, you're just changing the name on the door and it's right. the culture what the people create around it. Do you believe in the products they're selling? Do you believe in a leadership team of the company? And I think that when you're looking for employees, you're looking for why they leave and where they're leaving. And if they just think, oh, I just want to go to a smaller company. We have challenges just like Amgen down the street. Like, yep, yep, we're not perfect. It's that's why you kind of just understand when you look into grow, you do like diabetes. Do you want to make a difference in respiratory? So I think a lot of it is why are you looking to do what you want to do? Why now? Why mm-hmm. mankind? And then what's the characteristics of that person? Are mm-hmm. they just a job or do they come in and they can really take off and do a lot more in their company and make a difference? Yeah. So. And that's, that, that was one thing specifically, like just on my side, as far as being the independent world, that's just, I was going through my ranks of CVS. I was building everything I needed to become tested out the market as far as being a district manager. And then I realized quickly, it just wasn't for me. I recently just wrote a post on LinkedIn. Just And one of my one of my favorite things that I just someone told me is that if you look back to your former self, how bad would your former self want to beat you up now? And I was like, <laughs> man, I was like, back when I was 18, 19, man, I was like a, had a faux hawk. I was a punk rocker. So I was like, I don't know. He would just fought everybody. And I just, for me, it just decided, hey, this is I love helping people like doing stuff like this and getting good information out there to people is just what I value. Being a part of this community is also super important to me. So it's, and you're right. Like, obviously we have different paths and, but I just, I value that information. And that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's no, important. You're funny. You're the second person today who literally told me they were a punk rocker. Oh, really? Yes. Well, you're living in California. So you got you to see a no, bunch of them. No one said that in 10 years. And two really? Dang. Oh man, I was a, I was just, I, I played soccer, but I was still like, had that anger, that angsty side of me. And sometimes it comes out. My wife doesn't understand. She's all prissy and listens to Justin Bieber. She doesn't get it, man. It's a lifestyle. So I try to tell people it's not a face. Yeah. My um, wife has a lot of temper, so I just try to keep her as calm as I can. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. So yeah, I, I, that, that was really good info, man. I appreciate going through that. One of the other things that we talked about in the past and really spoke to me was around mentorship. Me, I'm 36 years old. I'm, I'm trying to build a brand. I'm trying to build a, a pharmacy here. One thing that I decided to go do, and I'll let you dive a little bit deeper as far as advice you had for people trying to find mentorship. Um, I actually went to, he happens to be the first person, first doctor I met when I owned a pharmacy. And I was trying my marketing on him. And all he did was just roast me, just <laughs> ate me up. And I was like, man, this guy is crazy. But he's like just a really nice guy. And one thing I realized is that he's a doctor. He owns Frisco Concierge Medicine here. So he's a concierge doc. And uh, he saw me at a really low point in my life. I was really sick. I actually, I didn't know what was wrong with me. We just got back from Turkey. I was losing a bunch of weight, really sick, peeing all the time, always thirsty. Every single telltale sign for a diabetic is what I saw. And he looked at me, wasn't even, I wasn't even his patient yet. Wasn't even, didn't pay his fee, nothing. He looked at me, he said, man, you look like crap. And much worse words, but he said that to me. Yeah. I said, yeah, I don't know what's going on with me, man. So he took me in, didn't even hesitate, checked my A1C and, and told me I was a diabetic, man. I had, a, I had an A1C of almost 12 when I saw him. It was bad. In three months with treatment with him and lifestyle things that I did, I was able to get down to my A1C now. Was like a, so it was a five and a half last I checked it. So it was, it was something that we worked on. But he always, even when I wasn't his patient, he wanted to check up on me. And that is the type of person that I wanted to associate with. 
Um, we stayed in touch. We play golf. We, we, he invites me over his house. So I asked him right out and I was like, listen, man, you're an important part of the community. You've been here for your whole life. I would love to be for you to be my mentor. And it was an easy decision for him. And that, that to me made me feel better knowing that I had somebody else run ideas off of to chat with. He's a huge Cowboys fan. So I had to make fun of him for that. We'll get into that. And so just tell us a little bit more about what for potential pharmacists, pharmacy students as around finding a mentor. Yeah, it's funny. I've been very fortunate to have a few great mentors and, and really three people, like four people I could tell you just made a huge difference in my decisions and and supporting me. And to your point, we always have lows. No one's always doing great. They go up, they do well in work, work and life and personal life and go through life's journey. The game of life. Remember that little board when you were a kid? Yeah. Married to full things in the back seats. <laughs> so the game of life throws things at you. And whether it's getting a new a disease, unfortunately, getting divorced, having kids, all these are life events that you have to learn from. Uh, but I think the number one most important characteristic of a mentor is trust. And it sounds like you're a person you trust, right? He's very honest yeah. with you. Oh, yeah. Being able to receive and, and inherit honest feedback and not get defensive, right? Really important because it hurts, right? You're building your business, you're working your butt off and you got someone telling you, this and this is why you're going to fail or not succeed if you don't change. You're like, what the hell? I'm working 90 hours a week. Give me a break. But that honesty helped you think about things a little bit differently in the end. And you probably pivoted some certain things and then tweaked it and it worked. And so I think that trust in mentorship and that honesty in mentorship is going to be really important characteristics. If it's just superficial where you're afraid to go deep and you're, you don't want to get feedback or you're always defensive, the mentor is not going to be honest with you then. And so I think just making yourself vulnerable is really important in that dialogue and that thing. The second thing I'd say is don't be afraid to ask for a mentor or someone to be your mentor. And I always laugh like uh, people schedule one or two meetings with me. And then I'm like, they obviously want something, but they're not asking me. And then like, Will you be my mentor? And I'm like, in some cases, it makes sense. In other cases, it doesn't, depending on where they are in their life, where I am. And I always, I'm not that old, but I also appreciate that a 20-year-old is going to push me harder than a 60-year-old in terms of learning or technology or things that I'm just stuck in my ways. And believe it or not, people that are mid-career like me also need to mentor younger people because they're going to challenge me to think differently. And that's what, when I went to business school, the average age in the class was 35, but there was 10% that were under 30. I went to an executive MBA, so it wasn't full-time, but 10% of the class was under 30. And I went in at 26, 27 years old. And the reason I wanted to go was I wanted to learn from the older crowd. And the reason they let 10% of the class in less than 30 is because they had no freaking experience and they're going to ask really dumb, stupid questions. And I'm in there like, why can't you do that? I'm like, oh, you don't understand. You just can't. I'm like, no, I don't understand. I like, don't. Yeah. <laughs> and so it really created a good class dynamic. And 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 I was really my career with the industry and people were like, you spend a billion dollars before you even know a drug's going to work. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and you got to build a plant five years in advance of FDA approval. Yes, we won't be able to manufacture and scale up. So our industry is such a foreign thing that people don't realize the kind of risks and decisions you got to make five and 10 years in advance to get a drug ready for market. Everything from your R&D strategy all the way through your device strategy to your manufacturing. And uh, like I remember I left uh, I left my startup in 2006. I was planning for 2013, 2016. And I'm like, I don't want to wait 10 years to launch my next drug. And that's why I left at that point in my career. But, but I think mentorship helped me make the decision to go to a small company, helped me decide to be a pharmacist, it helped me decide to go to the industry. It helped me build my confidence in marketing where I'm like, I'm the least creative person in the world. How am I going to be a good marketer? I became a, a decent marketer, I think. And because you realize like business is about marketing, leadership, strategy, and execution. And so it doesn't, there's plenty of books to read around those topics. But at the end of the day, it's how do you synthesize? How do you interpret? And how do you get that information out? 
and how do you surround yourself with the best people you can find? And also be honest with people because sometimes you hire a friend or you hire someone you think is going to be good and doesn't work out. And believe me, the longer you hold on to them, the worse off you are. So having mentors to say, hey, what do I do in this situation? How do I handle this? I think those are all critical things to help you just get become a great leader. And this is all about leadership. I'm always amazed when people, when you look at leaders in history, I just read an article the other day, said these six people changed the world or 7 billion people. So what happens if those six people didn't exist? Right. And it was people like Bill Gates. We may not like Adolf Hitler, but he changed the world in, in, in lines. He did. The great, there's another president that they forget that, but the, you know, like six people, you're like, yeah, I guess if those six people didn't exist, those six major events wouldn't exist. Right? <laughs> Steve Jobs is yeah. another. And I don't think if we didn't have Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and some of these other world leaders that we'd have the history we have in the world we have today. And so it's amazing that six people probably made dramatic change for the next 100, 200 years. And think about that out of 7 billion. That's crazy. Yeah, just... Any, anyone can make a difference. It all goes back to leadership, vision, and execution. And, and so people are always afraid that someone's going to steal your idea, right? That's like the number thing an entrepreneur. Oh, I'm going to share because they're going to steal my idea. Believe me, the ideas are everywhere. Most people yeah. never. So I never worry about half the, half the success is about you actually executing the idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think that's. I want to say, I don't want to say lacking in our profession, but there's a lot of people keeping information to themselves and not doing these sorts of things of just explaining things that they're doing or what their, what their best practices are. I love hearing that, man. Thank you. So I, I can't let you get away without talking a little bit about the NFL playoffs. Can we talk about it for a little bit? Yes. The Cowboys played really well. I don't we care about the Cowboys. FCE, was sad to see Tom Brady go down. It happened. And then the Eagles, uh, obviously, is my team. I'm from Philadelphia, so I'm bleeding green if you cut me open. Yeah. And so we're super excited to go against the Giants this weekend. It's going to be a fun game. I'm excited about that. It'll be a great game. I'm just debating. I'm going to be on the East Coast, so I'm kind of 50-50 to want to fly in and watch it live. And then I looked at the temperature, 33 degrees. It's nope. not looking good. Mm. Nope. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting scared of the cold. I'm getting too wimpy out here. I don't know. Yeah. I completely understand that. I moved to Texas, and we had the cold snap during Christmas and I was like, my brain was just short circuiting. I didn't know what was going on. I, I can't went to school in Virginia, so I didn't, I'm shouldn't be used to it. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we're excited. Who knows? You never know with the Eagles. They had a week off. Sometimes they don't do well when they come off a bye week and sometimes they blow it out. But it's I, love, big, I love Jalen Hurst. So I'm excited to see how he does, but yeah, being at home in on Lincoln, on Lincoln stadium, mm -hmm. I think it will do pretty well. Hopefully. Yeah. Lastly, a couple more things. You told me you're currently reading a book. What book are you reading right now, Michael? So I, I read two books. The one was so bad, I wanted to take it back, but I don't know if you can return a, a half-read book, but it was really bad. It had an interesting cover, and a guy wrote it during COVID and basically talking about the next Great Depression. And so I was like, mm -hmm. that sounds interesting. Yeah. And then he made all these predictions, and was writing his last chapter about what the next two years or three years are going to hold. And he was like wrong on 11 out of 12. And I said, it just goes to show you anybody can write a freaking book. Anybody. <laughs> So that was a horrible book. It was really bad. So I, I had to finish it. And then I started reading a book called The Psychology of Money. Okay. And, and that's been a really fascinating book. Partially because of the way it's written. It's, I think, 20 rough chapters. But each chapter is like a lesson about money or psychology of money. And mm -hmm. so you read that, you learn that, you appreciate the context of the topic. And so it's one of those books, like you don't have to read it all at once, right? You can read three to five chapters and learn three to five lessons about life. But it really, it goes against some of your conventional thinking, but it also helps you bring the perspective of things are not efficient markets because there's the psychology of people, which generally are unpredictable, but also they're predictable in their patterns of what they do when housing collapses or interest rates go up or things like that. But I find that one very fascinating. And then there was another one I read called Die With Zero. Uh, so it depends on what you're trying to do in life. But I would tell you the psychology of money has been a good one. I'm about halfway through. 
The die was zero. I think Keith, somebody wrote it. And the reason I like that one is it really talked about what we do as young individuals all the way through mid-career through late-career retirement and the psychology you go through around money and saving and investing for that grand old day when you finally stop working. And it talked about then you get sick or you lose your spouse or you lose a child or you have you can't travel because you have an illness and, and therefore you're not getting on airplanes. And so, so like what good is saving all this money that you actually can't spend because you can't do anything? I think it helps you think about what do I need to start doing now in the moment, whether that's going to my kid's football game or watching a play with my daughter or watching a movie on some Friday nights, like appreciating some of those things in life or going that extra trip that you may not want to take because you think you can't afford it. But those life experiences, I think are important. One of the things I talked about is staying in a little bit nicer of a hotel, an extra 500 bucks in a week for a vacation. You're probably not going to remember when you're 80 years old. You got residents in, they're all the same. They don't remember <laughs> residents in a state to travel. But staying at the Montage, right, and bringing the highest five-star hotel I can think of, you're going to remember that because you're not going to do it many times. And the sure. atmosphere is different. You're going to pay a lot for your food and say, what the hell? But you're going to have a different experience. Yeah. I think that's kind of what we talked about is how do you get those experiences in life? And that, yes, you may pay a little bit more, but those experiences when you're 20, 30, 40 are way more valuable and memorable than when you're 60, 70, and 80. I'm going to have to try. I'm going to check both of those out. The psychology money and die with zero. I'll definitely check those out. Yeah, those are good. We have two minutes left. We have two minutes left. I just want to ask you, is there any general advice you'd like to give the listeners? Anything that you want them to know would be a great help. My my advice for people is I think the world suffers from a lack of confidence. And the reality is like you only learn through experiences. So bet on yourself, take some risks, push yourself to get out of your comfort zone. You learn through failure. So don't be afraid to fail. No, No one's perfect. Um, but you want to look back in life and I'll say it takes the same amount of energy to do a job 40, 50 hours a week than it does to do a shitty job or a good job. So however much time you want to work, put in the best effort you can and try to make an impact, try to make a difference, try to speak up. Don't always think about the people above everything. They got there for a reason, but they also don't know everything. And I used to think that as I was building my career, they must know this. And then I got there, I'm like, don't. No, they don't. And I, and I just build my own self-confidence over time because I just realized like people aren't that smart. They don't know everything. They can't know everything. But the difference between someone that tried and someone that didn't is why they got somewhere. And whether it's starting a company, it's working, switching jobs, it's switching a disease area, own your career, be an ethical person. Don't be unethical. It always comes back to bite you. You see something happening, speak up. Always your integrity is all you have at the end. So don't ever let that be compromised in any job you're doing or personal situation. And just be a good human being. Give back to society where you can. God put us on this earth for a reason. And each of us have a different role. And you got to figure out your own purpose. And I think a lot of people struggle with what is my purpose, right? Whether that's to be a great mom, a great dad, a, a great son or daughter. And ask people, I did an experiment in business school and leadership, which was, what are people's expectations of you? And what is your expectations of them? And that simple conversation removes so much stress out of your life. You have no idea because you have such high expectations of yourself that the people around you don't have, whether it's a boss, a spouse, a parent, a son, a daughter. And sometimes just like that little conversation, like I had tons of guilt around not seeing my mom because I moved around a lot. And then I did this experiment where I was like, okay, mom, every Sunday we're going to have dinner. And honestly, she canceled like seven out of eight Sundays. And so then I'm like, okay, it's not me. That's good. It was me. And you know, my mom just has issues. It is what it is. I, yeah, but sure. I'm not going to walk around feeling guilty anymore. Yeah. I'm going to move back to Philly. I'm like, mom, I'm within an hour. Let's get together more. And she raised me. My mom is adorable. I love her to death. 
she raised me on her own, put up a lot of shit. And, but I just realized like, she's just not going to be the reliable person you want her to be. And she's going to blame you sometimes. And you have of that feeling. Yep. And the reality is do an experiment. Okay. Yep. I'm going to go date night once a week with you. And your wife gets busy or you get busy or something comes up and you're like, okay, we can't. How about we once try. a month? Like, yeah. <laughs> but do just try to be different. Try to think different, be confident, build your confidence and develop yourself. Whether it's reading books, taking presentation courses, finding a network of people. But, and if you just don't, don't worry about it. Be who you are, be happy, be a great mom or dad and go to work and do your 40 hours and go home. There's nothing wrong with that either. But make what, do what makes you happy. And yeah. I always tell people, doing what you love, money will follow. So don't do it for money. That's probably my last word of advice for people is anytime you follow money, I feel you'll be miserable. And so you may not be miserable that moment because money only gives you happiness for a short period of time. But doing something you love every day is priceless. Mm-hmm. And when you're happy, your family's happy. And when everyone's happy, life is good. Money will follow you. And that's my last word of wisdom for people. Man, I got to end it there, man. I, I don't even know what else to say after that. Dr. Michael Castagna, man, I really appreciate your time. It was great. These two conversations that I've had with you, man, I feel like I I took a bunch of lessons, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, consider giving us a five-star review anywhere that you get your episodes. Follow us at Sports Pharmacy Pod, as well as me, your host, at Dr. Mixalot. Join our Discord server for more interactions with me and fellow listeners. As always, stay well, stay hydrated, and I will catch you next time. Thank you.